so anyway, what this creates is a game where you end up in a lot of situations where you would normally, your normal self would go for a hard driven ball. But now instead, you're getting a lot of reps where you're shooting in this same situation. So in theory, this is going to give you a lot more experience with shooting and experience with shooting in different types of situations. Which then hopefully, if you are observant while you do this, uh, you will pick up small mini lessons about how to shoot. What's up and welcome back to the podcast and the 5,000 subscribers celebration Ask Me Anything answering session. So, to, to be straight up and honest from the beginning, uh, is this going to be the best uh, episode for you to listen to if you want to learn about beach volleyball? Because I believe most people listen to this podcast to learn about beach volleyball. The answer to that is, uh, mm, I don't know, maybe. Like, I will talk about beach volleyball in this also, but, uh, but I'm not going to be super, super strict about it. And we're going to also talk about some... Other stuff. So basically, the background for this uh, episode is that quite recently the YouTube channel reached 5,000 subscribers, and I thought, as uh, sort of a bit of a celebration for that, to like I put out a video and I said that I'm gonna do an Ask Me Anything session. So basically, I let people send in questions about anything, and uh, now I'm gonna answer this <laughs> these questions. <laughs> so I think in general in life. Um, it's uh, good to it's good to have goals it's good to be on your way towards something but i also think it's good to sometimes take a pause and just appreciate what you have uh, notice and appreciate that work has been done some results have been created and you are better off now than you used to be and uh, that is great uh, it's not a it's not an excuse to get lazy to get complacent to stop doing stuff uh, but it's it's just like hmm, okay we've done some stuff uh, we're, we're moving forward uh, this is great uh, maybe we can enjoy it for a second uh, and then we can continue working towards uh, the next goal or so to say um, although I also think it's very important to enjoy the journey uh, but whatever let's not go into into that tangent right now but with that, all of that said, normally my episodes, my videos, I plan them quite well, uh, which takes time. I edit them a lot, which takes a bunch of time. Uh, this time I'm just going to be like uh, a little bit more <laughs> relaxed with myself and, and celebrate this and, and just do a uh, just do an episode without thinking too much and just let the recorder be on and and we'll see what comes out of this. So maybe we'll. Uh, Maybe there will be some mistakes in this one, uh, who knows, maybe you will get to know me a little bit better, a little bit less unedited, <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, so let's, uh, let's get started with the, with the questions. I'm going to start with a little bit of a, a fun one. It's actually, it's two questions, uh, but it's written in by Psychedelic Penny or Penny or I don't know how to say it. Uh, anyway, he or she writes, uh, congrats on the milestone. I love your theory and technique focused approach to volleyball. Thanks for that. Uh, 
where are, in your opinion, the best places in the world to play a lot of great volleyball? Be that beach or indoor or grass. Uh, so to this question, when I started thinking about this, um, I probably haven't been to the volleyball capital in the world. Uh, wherever that might be, I have probably not been there. <laughs> and that's, uh, that's actually interesting. Maybe, uh, maybe I should go. Maybe I should figure out what the volleyball capital in the world is and, and go there someday. Uh, after all, I'm, volleyball is a part, a huge part of my life. Uh, <laughs> uh, but when this question came came to my mind and I started thinking about it, I realized that I I need to. There's a few different places I need to uh, I need to mention is the word. Uh, and <laughs> first one of those is is Kopangan in, in Thailand. Uh, so in Thailand there's many islands that are very that are famous for various reasons. Uh, Kopangan is also famous for many different reasons. Uh, one of the reasons it's famous for is the big full moon party party that they have. And maybe that's the most well known reason for, for that island to be, be famous. Anyway, on the same same very same beach as the party is on when there is not a party, because this party happens once a month, uh, I guess. Uh, fuck, I don't know if does a month and full moon, is it exactly correlated or is it almost correlated? I need to look that up. <laughs> I don't know if there's 12 full moons in a year or if there's more, slightly more or slightly less. Anyway. Every full moon there's a party, and when there's not full moon, there is volleyball on this beach. Uh, the reason I need to say, talk about this place, is that the sand on this beach, it's the most, uh, it's, it's the most amazing sand ever. Uh, it's, uh, you sort of just get happy from being and seeing this sand. Being in this sand and seeing this sand. It's um, the sand is super fine grain. It's almost like feels almost like flour uh, that you bake bread out of. Uh, it's just this nice thing you get sort of covered by it. But but anyway, um, it's super soft, but also super jumpy, uh, which is a bit of a semi-rare combination. Uh, some sometimes you know jumpy sand tends to a little bit down in the sand it tends to get like these uh, hard packed type of uh, parts that you can actually hurt yourself if you if you get through the sand the top layers of the sand into this part of the sand and you can injure yourself and whatnot but anyway the sand in Kupangan is just like a beautiful mix and combination of different qualities that uh, I've never, I don't think I've seen it anywhere else. Uh, it's it's very jumpy, but also, and you can move very quickly in it, but it's also very soft, so you won't get injured. So it's just very fun to play in, because you can do a lot of defensive moves and, and attacking and, and blocking, and you get high over the net, and, and who knows what. Um, so if you ever put your feet in Thailand, uh, I would 
recommend Copangan for for many reasons, not only the sand there, but other reasons also. Uh, <laughs> Another place that I want to mention is here that I'm right now. It's it's Oslo in Norway, and uh, mostly because the the community here is very nice and friendly, and uh, and uh, I don't know if it's a Norwegian thing. I don't know if it's Norwegians, the culture, uh, or what it is, but it's just like. What I really like here is that there's a culture of like everyone sort of knows everyone. So yes, there is a level, you know, there's different levels of, of beach volleyball and people play on their own level. But there's a type of camaraderie and, and a friendliness throughout the levels uh, and collaboration that I think is amazing. And it's something that I haven't haven't seen to this extent in other places. Uh, it's um, it's really cool. It's like you know the the most extreme cases. Like you're gonna you're gonna have uh, Anders Moll and Christian Zorm. They don't live in Oslo, uh, I think at least. Uh, but you know they might walk into there someday and and they're like, oh hey, you know what's up? Do like you know, beginner players, <laughs> and that's that's amazing. Uh, often, I don't know. I haven't seen other places where the some of the best players in the world go and you know they're they're friends with the beginners. Uh, but this this happens, and not only at that extreme level, like all the levels in between. Like there's a lot of friendships and a lot of uh, good relationships uh, between levels and. And it also, it's all of the courts are in one place. So there's many people that play in this city and they barely ever play anywhere else than in this one facility. Uh, so it just becomes this meeting point where a lot of different players meet. I've been in other places where, you know, there's, there's not like one huge place to play, but there's several smaller ones. And... Um, and that makes uh, that creates a community that is a little bit spread out. You know, some people play there, some people play there. They don't really meet. They don't get to know each other over time. Uh, there's like, oh, okay, yeah, we heard about this other group over there. They play, but nobody has ever met them. Uh, that sort of thing doesn't happen nearly as much, I think, in the city, uh, which is uh, just really cool. Uh, so that deserved a mention also. Uh, another mention that I wanted to to do or, or talk about here is, uh, so I haven't been to the LA area for playing volleyball. Um, so Hermosa beaches and, and those places I haven't been to and maybe maybe that is the volleyball capital. I don't know, maybe somewhere else is the volleyball capital <laughs> um, that I should visit one day. But I have I have played in in um, San Diego, which is south of that, and that was in the very beginning of my career, so years and years ago. Um, but what I liked there was also a type of um, uh, also a type of friendliness. It was like a 
it was like people were picky, but they were also friendly, <laughs> which I think is a, is a good combination. Because I remember the first time I went to the courts there, uh, the first day, uh, I had to work a little bit before I got to play. I had to ask people and they said no, you know, I had to ask someone else, they said no, blah, blah, blah. Then finally, after a while, someone said yes and, and you know, I got to play some volleyball, which was fun. But then they also, then now they saw uh, that, okay, he can actually do something with the ball. Uh, so that just made it easier, way easier. The second day, you know, to get a game, maybe I only had to ask once and, and get refused to play. <laughs> and then afterwards, someone, uh, you know, um, recognized me from yesterday and said yes. And then it just became easier and easier. And after like a week there, then all of a sudden it was much easier to, or it was easy to find games. And, uh, you know, you had uh, contacts and, and whatnot and phone numbers and, and people were messaging you. Uh, so that was really nice uh, also, uh, good, good culture. Um, one of the reasons I wanted to mention that is a little tangent which is, um, it's actually sort of a strategy that I've built over the years that I, I see a lot of players don't do when they go to new places. Um, and it's, it's a type of humbleness in uh, knowing that you just got to this new place and you are not the boss here. You, even, even if you would be way better at playing than, this, than everybody else in the city where you just got, you're still not the boss here because you're not the person that built up this volleyball community. You're not the one that has been running it for years. You're not the one that knows the culture of the place. You're not the one that knows the people of this place. And <laughs> so... What I do when I go to a new place is, is you know, I show up, up at the courts, I, I have a look, I, I see what levels people are playing, what does the general vibe seem to be, blah, blah, blah. I'm not even looking to play games the first day I go to the courts, necessarily. I'm just like hanging out, looking at it, and uh, then I ask usually someone like, hey, you know, what's the... How does things work here? Like, is it, you know, is there some sort of challenge court system? Is it like, do people pre-plan and come here with their own court and it's a closed court? Is there, you know, is there a chat group I can join? How does it work here? Uh, you know, I just pick someone that, that's not busy playing volleyball and ask them. And, uh, you know, then sooner or later, you get to play with someone somehow. I don't give a shit, even if it's a beginner group. Uh, I'll, I'll play in the beginning. And uh, then again, relationships start to start to build. And then, you know, you can be the, <laughs> then you can work your way up over time. And <laughs> this way, at least I believe that the people in this community, they will respect you. Uh, you will make it to the level where you're supposed to be sooner or later uh, in a respectful way. So the thing that I see people do sometimes is they just show up somewhere, you know, on a new court, new city, 
and I guess they like act privileged in a sense you know they, they show up at the courts they ask if they can play and uh, you know if they get a no they sit around for half an hour then they start making drama like hey I've been waiting here you guys are unfair I don't get to play blah 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 uh, <laughs> or if they get to play you know they don't they start bitching about hand setting rules or some other rules or or whatever like they're they're sort of forcing themselves upon the community and here's, here's the thing is that while yes there are there are official rules there are you know how how the FIVB uh, and AVP plays the game um but but in reality, like volleyball rules have changed over time uh, a lot, and they also tend to be a little bit re regional, uh, and they have been, I guess, a little bit different in different regions also. So what it gets to is that you have not been part of creating this volleyball community that you are now entering, uh, which means that you have to have some flexibility you know, to just uh, do what they they are doing and let them decide, you know, let them have their culture. Regardless of if you think it's right or wrong, if you want to be a part of this group that you're now trying to be a part of, part of, then you need to sometimes accept what it's like right now. Later, you might be able to change this community. You might be able to change this group into what you believe is better. And maybe it is truly better. Um, but... In the beginning, be a little bit humble because you don't want to come off as an asshole uh, and, you know, just uh, come to the courts and, and makes everyone's experience worse. People play the sport because they like the sport. Uh, they don't like to be there and, and get shit from you. Uh, <laughs> so uh, so that, that sometimes sometimes happens and I just think it's unfortunate. Like it just... Uh, um, it doesn't lead to good things for really anyone, uh, I believe. Um, now, there is something to be said, though, which is that usually when I travel, I sort of plan so that I can stay in the place longer, which then means that I have time for a day where I don't play. I have time for a day two where I play with some, uh, some beginner games or whatever. Um, and I have time for a week until I'm like, until I know enough people so I actually get to play the games I want to play. Whatever it might be. And not everyone travels like this. Sometimes people are in a new place for a day or two or three. And uh, you don't have time for, for my approach there. And uh, I guess um, it becomes trickier if, if you do that. And I guess in a sense it doesn't matter as much if you come off come off as an asshole to people since you're anyway going to leave there uh, <laughs> but i sort of still think it's uh, it's not going to be fun for people if you come up and just like uh, force yourself up on, up on the community so what i would do in that case instead is is try to reach out try to find some people online beforehand or get people's phone numbers beforehand maybe you know someone that has been in the city before that you can you know ask if they have contacts to other players in the city and you can shoot them some messages beforehand 
before you get there and say like, hey, I'm coming this date. I would love to play volleyball at this level that you're, you're playing on. Uh, I think that's, a, that's probably a more effective and nicer way to, to get the games <laughs> you, you want to get. Um, now there is a, I'll, I'll mention one more thing. It is tricky to describe levels in beach volleyball. Like, yeah, someone can say, I'm a beginner, I'm an intermediate player, I'm advanced. What does intermediate mean? What does advanced mean? Um, so I am actually working on a system, uh, like a level description system for beach volleyball, uh, which I will, I'm hoping I will release uh, later this summer. Uh, the summer of summer of 2022 that is if anyone would be listening to this way far in the future um, but I'm trying to work to build a system that would be like universally applicable uh, in the whole world with like descriptions of certain qualities a player has uh, so that it's easy to look at this chart and sort of put yourself okay like I'm this level and then send this chart and your description of your level to some other players somewhere completely different in a different country and they will be able to roughly understand who you are as a player with the help of that. Because I've noticed from being around in different places in the world is that different places in the world have their own systems like Germany has their competition system so with German people talking with Germans they can just explain yeah I played you know this level tournament and and you know usually I end up like being in the semi-finals or finals in this level and now all of a sudden German people understand what that means but <laughs> if I come from Sweden or Norway or they talk with some American they're not going to have any idea what they're talking about uh, and same with Americans same with same with every country really, any system uh, so I'm trying to create a system that will be worldwide and universally applicable uh, so that would be cool if I managed to do that um, but yeah, as I said, there is a lot of plans for the future of this project and they're, they're, they're going to come uh, sooner or later. Uh, anyway, give me a second. So, uh, oh yeah, what was their favorite place in the world to play volleyball. There's one fourth place I need to mention just because, maybe not necessarily for the volleyball, but for everything else, <laughs> uh, which makes it a great place to play volleyball because I believe that the better your life in general is, the better it is to do your sport also. Uh, and uh, that's gonna be Bali in Indonesia. Uh, it's my personal favorite spot in the world uh, for so many reasons and uh, it's uh, it would be another whole podcast episode if I wanted to list out all the reasons for why um, but it's just a great place and uh, there's a reason it's famous uh, and there's a reason that people that go there tend to go back there again um, so I think maybe maybe I'll leave it at that um, volleyball wise because people usually ask me, hey, can you play volleyball there? Uh, yes, you can. Uh, it's not, it doesn't have the most, uh, like, uh, it doesn't have a huge, huge, huge beach volleyball community. Uh, but there 
are some powers you know there's there's some uh, westerners uh, me and me and others that would like volleyball beach volleyball to grow on this island that you know are putting in various types of efforts into making that happen um, there is also um, so the locals there they usually play either soccer or indoor volleyball when they grow up uh, if, if they do sports so or <laughs> indoor volleyball is indoor volleyball in bali is sometimes indoor and sometimes it's outdoor <laughs> but on gravel courts uh, so anyway there's tons of volleyball talent on the island and some of those players also come over to the beach uh, so there's actually uh, good local players also and uh, local players that would also like the like the scene to grow so um, had to put that onto the list also now i think next over to the next uh, question which is also going to have a little bit of an asian focus <laughs> uh, maybe that was a clue uh, second question is also what's your favorite food question mark um, my favorite food used to be pasta and meat sauce um, but i would say nowadays it's uh, it's a little bit more asianized it's probably rice with some chicken, some, um, you know, vegetables, some curry sauce or some sauce uh, like uh, Thai curries are really good. Uh, in Indonesia, they have this uh, peanut sauce. <laughs> so, so there my food tends to be a little bit more like rice and, and chicken and vegetables and, and peanut sauce and maybe some curry sauce on top of that. Uh, but yeah, that's that's uh taste wise there's a lot of food that i like uh, but i'm uh, i'm gonna go on another tangent because i think this might be interesting for some people so taste wise there's a lot of food that i like uh, but i've realized slowly but surely that some foods make me feel worse afterwards physically psychologically just my life is just not the same afterwards and there is something about uh, something about rice that I believe in, which is it makes me not feel as heavy after I eat it. So if I eat pasta or some bread or whatever afterwards, then I, I just feel a bit heavier afterwards in general. Uh, another thing, it's just observational. Uh, there's not a lot of uh, overweight people in Asia and Asians eat a lot of rice. Uh, so whether that's uh, proof for anything, I'm not going to go into that discussion. You know, someone could probably argue that, hey, this is just proof for poverty. I don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe not. I think there's at least something to it that rice is maybe not as, as bad for you as, as other types of carbs. Um, on this same... Uh, topic something that i've noticed in the last year which for me is is a huge interesting realization um, so the long story is i used to uh, travel to asia in the winters or falls or whatever it might be and 
the weather there is way hotter and warmer than in Europe. Uh, and it became a little bit of a... I went back and forth so many times that, that I noticed this pattern, which was that when I was in Asia, I lost all my fat. And I dropped, I lost a few kilos, three, four kilos. What's that in pounds? Seven, eight, nine, ten pounds. Um, and I became ripped every time I went there. And it's not like I was overweight when I was in Europe. But I had a little bit of, uh, you know, I wasn't as, as lean here. And uh, it's funny because the, uh, the Balinese, they don't... Uh, it seems like uh, telling someone that they're fat is not like offensive to them in their culture. So, you know, they would start telling me and others, other Westerners, that, oh, you came back, now you're fat again, haha. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's kind of funny, but uh, but it's true. Uh, I was al always heavier when I got there, and I was always lighter when I left there. And uh, and uh, I I thought because it took me like uh, two, three, four weeks after I got there, I would sort of lose this uh, this extra little bit of somethings. And I always thought that it's the heat, you know, that, okay, it's colder in Europe, the body needs a little bit more body fat to stay warm, and in Asia it's, it's hot, so the body needs to get rid of all the extra insulation, uh, so it gets lean. And maybe that's true, but until last year this pattern actually changed, which was... It was the first time I spent time in Sweden without eating bread. And this is big thanks to my, my girlfriend. She's been experimenting with, with foods and diets way more than I have. Uh, but she's tried to live gluten-free and, and whatnot. So, so I was like, okay, I'll just try to live without bread and, and see what happens. Uh, because I, I did realize that I never eat bread in, 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 in Asia. And uh, fall came, winter came, it became cold. I didn't put on the weight. And I was like, this is interesting. This is the first time I'm in Sweden. Uh, but I'm in like Asian shape. <laughs> uh, so that started making the, the wheels churning. I was like, hmm, maybe this cold warm weather theory isn't, isn't true. Uh, after all and then last winter I headed to Mexico and what ended up happening there was I started eating uh, wheat burritos which means that I was eating a little bit of bread and uh, I don't know uh, I just did that even though I, I knew that I maybe shouldn't or didn't want to but anyway I did that and after a while in this hot weather in Mexico uh, I get the I get the Western fat back or whatever you know the the stuff I normally had in in Europe that I hadn't had in the last few months in Europe, and that's when I was like, oh, this is interesting. So it seems like it actually isn't the hotness of the weather that decides it, but it it seems like it it might be the bread if I eat bread or not. So once I realized that, I stopped eating these burritos. I went. Uh, just one day I just stopped completely and started eating other stuff. 
and uh, two weeks afterwards I'm back into <laughs> into the Asian type of shape and 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 leanness again uh, so I'm not here to provide any sort of diet advice uh, I'm definitely not um, uh, qualified for that also one of my sort of uh, mentors that I've learned a lot from uh, he talked about that bodies and diets like we're probably humans are very different from each other like there's yes there's similarities but there's also differences and his example was you know there's uh, it's it's probably good to eat fruit for most people but then there's people that are fructose intolerant so uh, this means that maybe with diet we need to sort of try for ourselves and sort of try what makes us feel good what seems to work for us uh, rather than like be super like oh this person said this this has to be the truth this is how I'm gonna live for the rest of my life this is what I should eat this is what everyone should eat period uh, so take this little story as just my one person's experience that's my own experience and uh, uh, take it or leave it and uh, then uh, <laughs> hopefully you will figure out uh, what sort of food makes you makes your mouth happy and your stomach happy and your body happy and your your psychology happy <laughs> okay okay uh, I'm pretty good at doing tangents right uh, anyway next question uh, Talanki asks in high level play how often are angle blocks called would you recommend a strategy of always blocking line? So, in high-level play, the question starts. What is high-level play? This is a... I alluded to that before with the levels chart. It's, it's not very easy to say what is high-level play. Um, but... I'm guessing that this question is coming from sort of a beginnerish, intermediate-ish viewpoint. Uh, so high-level play would then mean like sort of high and everything above that. <laughs> um, so how often are angle blocks called? I, I think angle blocks start getting called by a team when they notice that the opposing team are able to kill the ball most all of the, all of the time by hitting angle. Uh, because in as a baseline, you're covering the court a little bit less on an angle block call compared to a line block call. I believe it's uh, the defender has a little bit of a more difficult job to sort of cover the whole court, if that makes sense. Uh, but if you know a team your the, your opponents figure out that you never do angle calls then they can just keep hitting angle keep hitting angle keep hitting angle and you will basically not stop them uh, so for the second question would you recommend the strategies of, of of always blocking line yes for certain levels i actually would because it's a simpler play to to play uh, it's a simpler strategy to do. Um, it takes away some confusion about where you should pull because it's it's easier to I will say it's easier to to pull line than than cross. 
Um, and it, it, yeah, it's just simpler. So as long as it works, as long as you still stop some balls from the opponents, as long as you know they're not scoring every single one because they're just hitting angle all the time, I would at at certain points I would recommend that this is a strategy, especially if the angle block call makes you guys confused, you and your teammate. Um, so I think there is a time for that. And then probably there's a lot of times when that's not a good strategy also. <laughs> so uh, the, back to the first question in high level play, how often are angle blocks called question mark? Uh, I don't know, maybe 30% of the time, maybe 40, uh, maybe 50, 50. Uh, my probably very much depends on, on the team and I don't have exact statistics on this. Um, so yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know everything. Uh, I surely don't know everything. Uh, but my guess is still that it's more common with a line block call than an angle block call. There's probably some teams that are um, that are exceptions to that, but, but that's my guess. But I hope that answers the question generally, at least. Okay, next question. Overtone writes, Hi Alex, I'm playing in a recreational sixes league. I'm taking up a bit of a coaching role within the team. Uh, I am having trouble giving instruction to a shorter girl on the team, five feet tall, who is new to the sport. She's particularly having trouble with the third ball when she's in the front row. We've gone over bump, volley, standing hits, tomahawks and pokies, but I don't think she's found her style yet. I feel like she should get I feel like she should get the ball a bit further away the net so it doesn't have to go straight up. For extra information, she has very good underhand serves. Uh, what do you recommend to help her? We do some drills after our games, but don't practice individually. Um, so, I don't know if I have an answer for this question, but I will talk a little bit around it and I think it will sort of give a picture of, of what I think about this. Um, so one, one thing about me is I have not done a lot of six on six volleyball coaching. Uh, so that's, that might be good to know uh, as a beginning. Um, but in, in general, if people, what I've noticed is that if people actually want to learn to like jump up and attack, if they want to learn that and they don't happen to have like a like an ability to jump and reach and hit the ball in some way at a high contact point from some other sport for example basketball players they can sometimes just get into a volleyball court and they will maybe have a little bit of a funky technique for hitting but it will sort of work still um, if people don't have that but they want to learn to jump and attack usually there's some work to be done like some individual instruction you know this is how you approach this is how you jump 
so you reach high and hit the ball. Uh, so, so if this is the answer that you're looking for, uh, but at the same time we do some drills after our games but don't practice individually, this might be difficult. Uh, okay, maybe there is actually, there is some, some drill which is like, uh, you know, just set the ball and um, take an approach, which means in this case any steps, and then jump and catch the ball as high as you can. Uh, and then once you do that, you sort of get the timing you need to, you learn to read, like set the, the ball flight patterns for a set, etc. Maybe now you can do some sort of drill where you just try to reach as high as possible and put some power onto the ball. And maybe after that you can do a drill where you actually give her set balls and just ask her to jump up and reach as high as possible and hit the ball. And maybe that will work out. Maybe she will build some sort of technique where she makes that happen somehow. Uh, but for the most of the time, I would probably recommend some individual um, practice that goes a little bit more into detail. Um, and like, yeah, that's that's what I would sort of recommend to, is to is to change the whole uh, whole situation a little bit if if this is important for you to fix. Okay, but the other way, the other sort of direction that you can take to become a better attacker is to get better at placing the ball. So it seems like, you know, she knows some pokies, some tomahawks, uh, some standing hits. So maybe she could spend the time rather than learning how to jump and hit, maybe she could learn to see the court better, uh, find the corners better. Uh, find the tricky spots better, at least in two versus two volleyball. Uh, you know, you have four corners and then you have short middle and you have long middle. And those six spots seem to be, you know, effective and, and kind of tricky for the opponents to pick up. Might This might change in uh, six versus six. I don't quite have enough experience of six versus six on sand, so that I would actually be able to, to say for sure. Um, but this would be like the other direction. It's like there's, it's almost like there's two path, paths to, to relatively efficient attacking. Uh, of course, you can walk down both paths sooner or later or at the same time also. Um, but maybe I would say like decide for one of the paths and whatever you believe will give you guys the results that you want as fast as possible. Uh, think about that and then start walking down that path. Um, one extra little thought about that path is, uh, so this is from the uh, Eric Nygaard uh, that some of you guys will know who he is with the Tomahawk attacks that I've been, made a couple of videos of. Uh, we have upcoming videos where I interview him about his strategy when he plays that I haven't released yet, but they're, they're coming. Uh, he said that he analyzes the opposing team. And if there's a player on the opposing team that has less mobility, less 
reaction speed or like seems kind of clumsy and slow uh, and maybe less ball control like even if they do get to the to the spot they beat the ball to the spot the ball doesn't go where it's supposed to go or something like that if you can find a weakness in the opposing team like that he likes to attack this player uh, and I, I guess especially since his attacking goes you know he usually doesn't put the ball at the person uh, but he puts it you know he tries to put it in a place where there is no person but still sometimes it's somewhat close to a person which means that you know a quick mobile player with a lot of ball control can quite often pick these balls up but if he puts this ball around a person that is a little bit stiff not as mobile or doesn't have as much ball control or has a little bit of a slower reaction speed then now he can score a lot <laughs> so maybe 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 uh, you could uh, use that sort of thinking uh, if you you know the sixes team that you're playing against if there's some one or two or three or four players that are sort of clumsy or whatever maybe this girl can can attack them i don't know that could work also <laughs> Um, all right, all right. Next question. This question is a long one. It's not quite a question, but it's uh, it's something to. It's pretty good and something to churn on anyway. So, Emil Petrov writes, "Thank you for your hard work, your help, and the passion you share with us. I hope to see your channel continue to grow. Thank you. I do too." Um, as you said in your video, how to practice with friends but no coach. Training is the fastest way to improve. I believe that making a playlist about training in continuation of that video would be very helpful and could have great success. As a young Swiss player, there are not many opportunities to have organized trainings compared to other countries or indoor. And even though there are videos on YouTube that show different drills, these are often short and the intended level of the players often seems to be random. Choosing from, this choosing from this variety of drills that are scattered on the internet can be confusing and I often catch myself watching one of these and then forgetting about it a few days later. I think you should try a playlist of training recommendations for four relatively advanced players. Uh, players that play tournaments but don't play professionally Sorry, players that play tournaments but don't play professionally are more likely to train without a coach than intermediate players who usually prefer to just play games. Uh, yes, and then if the videos do well, you could do another one where you change the level or the number of players. Some of the exercises could also divide the players in smaller groups. Here are some examples of drill videos that came to my mind. Example of a full and proper warm-up, uh, drills to improve overall technique, drills for cut shots and digging, drills for spiking and blocking, drills for service and passing, drills for pulling out from the block, drills to learn to get low on the sand quicker for digs, drills to attack after a distance set, and so on. I'm sure you have many more and better ideas. After choosing what they want to work on, the next training people would be able to take a look at it and select the right exercises for the session they could even have a note on their phone with all the timestamps on it 
so they can watch the next drill during the water break. This way they would have access to an easy-to-find, well-organized and truly good selection of exercises instead of trying to improvise on the court and wasting time trying to remember long-forgotten drills. I want to thank you again for this amazing channel and congratulate you for the milestone. Okay, so um, there's a lot of things to this. First of all, uh, there is, I have, I actually have <laughs> something like this on the, uh, on the way. Uh, there is a, uh, a podcast episode that I have already recorded, even though it is not yet released. And uh, this podcast episode is with the host of the Volley Nerd podcast. His name is Dave Zaransom. Uh, was a very good talk that I had with him. Anyway, part of this podcast, he gave a lot of ideas for different types of games, beach volleyball games, with types of different types of restrictions that you put on the game. So, for example, um, you know, if we let's say we play a game, normal game, but you can only score by doing shots. So, no hard-driven balls will score points. Um, or another example was uh, like you can only score by, by tooling the block uh, or something like this. And what this makes happen is, is you're playing a game. Uh, you don't really need a, a coach for this or you can definitely do this without a coach at least. Um, and you're going to have more repetitions of whatever the rules of the game um, celebrates. No, what it rewards. <laughs> rewards or celebrates, maybe that's the same. Uh, so, for example, not too long ago, I had, uh, I had an advanced group and I was coaching the group. And I, I designed a game where uh, they could only score if they if they did shots, except if there was no block. If there was no block, they were able to, to spike and hit hard. Uh, so, because otherwise the defender team would probably have stopped blocking. Um, so anyway, what this creates is a game where you end up in a lot of situations where you would normally, your normal self would go for a hard driven ball. But now instead, you're getting a lot of reps where you're shooting in this same situation. So in theory, this is going to give you a lot more experience with shooting and experience with shooting in different types of situations, which then hopefully if you are observant while you do this, uh, you will pick up small mini lessons about how to shoot effectively and how to kill the ball with a shot in different situations. Uh, and maybe the other, uh, like his other example was, uh, was uh, you can only score by tooling the block. Uh, maybe this will create a game where rather than, in a sense, yes, you're going to be in situations where you would go for something else than tooling the block. But anyway, just in general, you will get more repetitions of even trying to tool the block because maybe 
actually I am a great example of a player that should do this because I barely ever try to tool the block. Uh, so just playing this sort of game would give me a lot more repetitions of trying to do that. So it would like awaken that part of my mind that even remembers that this is a possibility, this is something, this is an, a tool that you can use in certain situations when you are attacking, uh, etc. So anyway, I believe that you know, if you're gonna do a drill that is not uh, sort of coached, uh, coach driven, and you're just uh, players that you know you want to decide on some drills beforehand, before you go to the practice session, uh, maybe something like this is your best bet. Um, but so there are drills that are useful like different types of ball control drills that don't really look like a game and they can be useful and they can teach players uh, really good lessons. Um, but I have also something against making a playlist with videos of these types of drills and just putting it out there. And here's why. So the, according to me, the, the reason for drills is to sort of do a drill and pick out some lessons from it and then bring those lessons into the game. Just as the same as if we play, you know, with we have to shoot if there's a block up. We're, we're there to play this game to learn lessons about shooting in various situations that then hopefully we can bring these lessons into the full game later. Um, however, with drills, the lessons that you're supposed to learn and bring to the game can sometimes be a little bit less obvious. <laughs> so for me, in, in, in my opinion, and this is not happening, this very often does not happen in, in beach volleyball, in the beach volleyball world community around the world. Um, is that a drill should be accompanied with a little bit of theory and an idea of what you can sort of learn from this drill. What is the lesson in this drill that you can bring out of it and then bring with you into the game? Because if you're not bringing skills into the game in the end, the drill is, is basically just a waste of time. <laughs> or or, I mean, it can be fun to do the drill also, but but anyway, we're ultimately there to learn skills to bring to the, to the actual full game. Um, so, what happens in, in my mind, if I'm coached by a coach that makes me do some sort of drill that I don't understand why I should be doing it, and they don't give me a reason for why I should do, be doing them, doing it, except that I, I have to do it to, to be in this practice. Uh, what happens in my mind is that I always look for a meaning, a reason. Uh, I try to create one. Maybe it's okay. Maybe I can use these reps to practice uh, hand setting in weird angles, for example. Or maybe I can use these reps to, you know... Uh, try to stay relaxed so that my, my reaction speed is, is quicker. Who knows what it might be. Um, 
I create my own meanings and reasons for the drills. Sometimes if I don't manage to, to find a meaning, then that's the times when you will see me at, at practices and, and not enjoy myself. <laughs> um, but anyway, so this tends to happen a lot in the volleyball community around the world. And I, I, so yes, there's one part of me that is hesitant to this because if, if I did a drill uh, library like this, like this guy, Emil Petro is, is suggesting, it would come accompanied with some information of what I believe that you can sort of learn from this drill and what you can, what skills you can pick out of it and bring to the game afterwards. But another part that makes me even more hesitant is that he writes here, example of full proper warm-up, drills to improve overall technique, drills for cut shots and digging, drills for spiking and blocking, drills for service and passing, drills for pulling out of the block, drills to learn to get low on the sand for quicker digs, drills to attack after a distance set, and so on. And here is where where the sort of common understanding of how beach volleyball is learned in the world seems to crash and clash with my understanding. Uh, so I, I find that there's a culture of that you're supposed to learn the sport by doing a drill in a group session and a coach is looking at it and the coach is giving you quick feedback. Five second, maximum 10 second explanations like, hey, here you did this wrong, here you did that wrong. Uh, try to think like this, try to do that better next time, what, what not, what not. And a lot of beach volleyball coaching happens in this way. Uh, but, <laughs> um, this is a little bit abstract to, to describe. My coaching, the way I think about a lot of things is... I like to teach rather than in specific situations uh, every time what you should do. I like to rather teach ways to use your body that then automatically make the right things happen in various situations. So it's almost like a package deal. It's like a buy once and, and you get 10 of these uh, type of thing. It's like a it's just like slamming a lot of uh, flies with the same with the same smack, whatever analogy you might be using, uh, <clears throat> because for certain skills in this sport, uh, especially the ones that people seem to get stuck on, and my favorite list is um, serve receive. Uh, people tend to just. Some, some players that don't know how to serve receive, they tend to be bad serve receivers for years and years and years. Another one is soft and good handsets. This is also seems to be almost like a mysterious skill for some people. They just can't figure it out. Uh, and uh, attacking, hitting with power. Hitting high end with power. Uh, and these are just like... Uh, I'm sure I'm not the only one that's seen this. People literally play and practice and put their heart and soul into this game for years and years and years, yet they don't learn these skills. 
So here is where, where Mr. Alex, the guy that creates Learn Beachful Fast, wants to come and say, hey, what about if we think about it like this? Here's where I want to come in and say, we need to do something different if we're going to get these people unstuck. So, so I like to teach rather than in... I like to teach in specific situations also. Um, I'll come back to that in a second. But I like to teach these systems in which the body can work. And these systems in which the body can work, unfortunately, I wish I could explain them in 10 seconds. I wish I could have a, run drill, a drill running with people on the court and just pause it for 10 seconds and magically just like explain the system to these people. Uh, but unfortunately, so far, this is a little bit too optimistic. Um, I can rather teach these systems by having like a, a two-minute talk. I explain some concept, then we try it out. People get to actually experience this thing in their body. So it's not just theory that's coming out of my mouth. It's now reality in how they understand and how their body functions. Then maybe there's another little add-on session, theory, um, analogy, something. And then we try that out and then we continue building upon this understanding of our bodies and how they work. Um, and this way you can actually teach people new ways to use their body, new systems that then automatically when the ball comes in front of them, their body automatically does the right thing because the system is working. When the ball comes to the side of them, their body automatically does the right thing because the system is working for them rather than them trying to uh, sometimes coaches try to correct you know how they're doing when the ball comes in front of them for example in service save and then the same coach is trying to correct them how they do it when the ball comes on the side but the problem is that the underlying system in this body is working incorrectly so when the, the coach is trying to force this type of result without the system being right it just feels unnatural for the athlete it doesn't work well and as soon as you know the athlete just does what works they're not doing that thing uh, anymore uh, which which is not what the coach wants but it's also not what works best because they're basically doing the best they can with uh, with a faulty system if that makes sense uh, so this, according to me, is how you learn many of the so-called almost mystical skills of volleyball. I have not yet found another way. I will keep looking for the rest of my life for other ways to learn these systems or these skills. Uh, but I have not yet found one. And the problem with this way of teaching, because I think it's a good way of teaching, but the problem with it is that the culture within beach volleyball doesn't automatically allow for this. Uh, coaching sessions, just the status quo of how they run does not work for this. So my favorite type of coaching is either one-on-one -on -one coaching. One-on-one -on -one is the absolute best because then I can answer exactly the questions that the player wants to have. Uh, answered and we can work on exactly the problems that the player has we don't need to think about the other players on this session and how they're feeling are they bored 
are they getting anything out of this? We forget all about, about that because they simply don't exist. Another type of good coaching is a, I think it's the word is homogeneous, uh, a group where people have roughly the same problem and they're roughly at the same level. In these types, then we can have sort of group, uh, I don't want to call them seminars, but like group understandings of these concepts and we can together explore them and, and whatnot. Um, but if there's someone that has a completely different problem, then it, you know, it makes less sense for this group. And then there's, then it becomes a group where people have scattered goals. They don't have the same goals, blah, blah, blah. And that just creates, uh, creates bad stuff. And, uh, you do that and, and, and <laughs> you, uh, so often people want to learn these things. They want to learn how to handset well. They want to learn how to serve receive. They want to learn to hit. But they want to do this in a game-like situation with five-second feedback. And anything else doesn't work for them. So they're basically, the player's wishes and wants just creates a situation which is unsolvable. Unless there is some answer that I don't know yet. Uh, but I have never seen anyone have, I've, I've never seen anyone solve this problem. So, so until someone solves, solves this problem, please send me a video or, or a contact if someone does uh, and you know of it. Uh, until then, I think it's better we do something that does work, but is a little bit different compared to some old system that people are used to that doesn't work and, and try to make that work. Uh, so this is a long explanation for... Uh, Yes, this whole question here on the YouTube channel, it seems to me like it's coming from this type of little bit of mentality. Like, just give me the drill that will fix this thing. There might not be one. There, yes, there are drills that will fix this thing. If it's combined with the theory to teach your body this new system. But this, again, is something that needs a little bit of fine tuning. We need to a little bit look at what your what your body is doing, and then we need to, based on that, you know, choose the drill, uh, rather than just say, okay, this drill will fix your spiking. Um, you can put out a drill and say that it's going to fix your spiking, and if you're lucky, it's going to hit right. If you're lucky, it's going to be the exact problem that you have, and and you're going to be smart enough that you're going to pick up these lessons without anyone telling you what lessons you should pick out of it. This is not impossible. It happens. There is some value in these drill videos that people put out. But I just think that there's a little bit... It can also hit the other way. Uh, it can also make someone... For example, let's say that your hitting can have three problems. You can have A, B or C. Player... Uh, player Alex, for example, uh, has problem B and C, but doesn't have problem A, and Alex goes on internet and watches a drill video uh, that says that, okay, drill that is going to fix problem A is going to fix your hitting. And Alex gets convinced that this is, this is real because it's some, you know, very, um, some person with a lot of authority says this, uh, so it must be the truth. 
and Alex gets very convinced that this is gonna fix the spiking and and you know anyone saying telling him anything else is, is not gonna be worth listening to etc etc Alex gets very stuck in this idea all of a sudden Alex has lost a few years and still not have learned to spike because there was not just not that little bit of <laughs> of real work of uh, of real uh, fine-tuning in there to make it specific for Alex's situation so and I've seen this happen a lot of times it has happened with me for me this is the opposite of learn beach wall wall fast for me this is the get fucking stuck in beach wall wall and never get too much better and this is the antithesis of what my project is about I don't want you guys to get fucking stuck <laughs> I hope that makes sense. Uh, sometimes it takes me a couple of minutes more to explain why I don't want you to get stuck and how I'm not going to get you guys to get stuck. And uh, some people uh, interpret that as me not being learn beach ball ball fast because I'm like learn beach ball ball after a lot of talking guy. Um, but the most important thing for me is to for people to not get stuck and I I this project is like a frustration project against all of these tutorial videos that make people get stuck uh, so therefore I'm trying to not create videos like that that will get you guys stuck and therefore this uh, video uh, suggestion here that I received as much as I like it uh, and I wish I could do it uh, and I might do something like it, uh, and I mean, I, I'm going to do something like it. I already have this podcast episode uh, that's, uh, fucking shit, I'm getting confused here. It's a podcast episode, and a part of this podcast episode has this this topic on it. And actually, what I'm going to really release is I'm going to first release the podcast episode as a whole, and then I'm going to release another podcast episode where I, I cut out this part just for the reason of... Uh, making it easy for people to practice themselves. But anyway, this whole suggestion has made me think about this now one extra time, and maybe I will find better solutions for this. Maybe I will make drill videos in the future, but I will try my best to make them in ways that will not get people stuck uh, because I don't want to be to learn how to get stuck in beach volleyball guy. I hope that makes sense. Uh, okay, I think I have now worked that comment through quite properly. Um, mm -hmm. Yes, awesome. Talanki again. So Talanki has written in two questions, uh, which is awesome, which makes me go on another tangent. Whoever asks most questions gets the most answers. Talanki is now going to be one of those people. Uh, <laughs> to elaborate a little bit more on that, the reality for a beach volleyball coach when they coach the sport, or I can't talk for every coach, but this is my reality, is that I, I look at a player play, I see a lot of various things that they could improve. Um, 
I also know that I can overload them with all of those things because then they're just going to get confused. Uh, they're going to get some information of what they could do better, but they're ultimately not going to be able to implement it and uh, it's not going to become a part of them and they're not learning beach volleyball and I'm not the learn beach volleyball fast guy. Uh, so uh, th there is a time and place for just like loading someone with information so that they get a list of things to do sooner or later if they can then take that list and start working on these things one and one uh, or in a in an order and and strategy that that works for them uh, but quite often when i coach i keep myself uh, shut up about things because it's just not the focus today and if i add this focus also for the player, then I will just confuse them from their mission that they're actually having today. Anyway, all of this leads to a reality where as a coach, you usually tend to have more thoughts than you're talking out. Uh, and sometimes you're a little bit hesitant with some of this, like maybe I should say this thing, maybe I should shut up, maybe I shouldn't. Uh, maybe this player cares about this. Maybe they don't. I don't really know. Um, anyway, every time a player asked, asks a question from the coach, the coach knows exactly what is on the mind of the player. And <laughs> this makes the coach's job a lot easier. Uh, and the reason is for to do this is not only to make the coach's job easier, but the coach also does their job better and the player gets more value out of the session. Uh, so I personally love when people ask me a lot of questions during sessions. Um, quite often I even design my practices so that, for example, if we're in the end of a practice, I sort of believe in, in most always playing a full-on game in the end, sort of to end the practice with. Uh, but if we're, for example, five people um, playing, it's a five people practice, then we're going to do some sort of king of the court version. Um, but I usually tell people that, hey, if someone has anything that they want to discuss with me, any questions they want answered, anything you've been wondering about, and uh, then we can let four people play and uh, you come and talk to me and we discuss it through. Maybe we we'll do some drills, maybe we we'll think about it. And whenever we're finished, you can go back into playing. So I usually invite people to, to, to these discussions, to these questions. Uh, and sometimes that works, but sometimes when people just come by themselves, they're like, hey, I've been thinking about this. That's when my job is even fucking easier. So <laughs> that was a tangent, another one, hopefully a valuable one. Talanki here has taken the record this time for most questions. Um, <clears throat> at least most separate questions uh, he or she posted to different posts. Uh, okay, question is, if the defender is sitting deep middle, what do you call for your partner? High line is gettable and so is high angle. Congrats. Uh, thanks for the congrats. Uh, Frederick de Klerk uh, was quicker than me here and has already answered this question. Uh, Frederick is a, is a long-time follower that is quite active in this comment sections, which is amazing. Anyway, he wrote, I would call cut. If they stand deep, they can't get the short ones, especially the short ones land faster. I will tend to agree with this. Uh, I don't know exactly what I would call. Maybe I would call cut, uh, but in general, the 
if you have a defender that's st standing deep middle, they're going to have trouble picking up the cut shot and they're also going to have trouble picking up the short line shot that just about goes over the block. Just about goes over the block. Uh, so I haven't had this problem that's described here for a long enough period with a partner that I would go ahead and do this. Uh, but if you have like a partner that you're constantly playing against, playing with, and you're playing against people that constantly do this against you, I would go ahead and probably create a call. Um, yeah, another part of this is that sooner or later, uh, maybe people don't listen too, too much to the calls. Maybe they sort of see and feel where there's empty space. And I believe the deep middle defender just in general leaves a lot of space on the sides. So I kind of think that people, attackers will over time build sort of an awareness. Okay, like, you know, short short and to the sides just seems very open and empty and then they will start putting balls there regardless of what you call but maybe i would create a call short or something um, you choose the word with your partner uh, it's not going to be a universal call that everyone around the world that plays beach volleyball will understand uh, sort of like line line and angle uh, so you will need to explain this call for every new partner that you have. Uh, but as long as we do that, we can create new calls for sure. Uh, there's, uh, there's no rule in the rule book against that as far as I know. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure about that. Uh, hopefully that gave a somewhat good answer to the question. Uh, all right, we're actually nearing the end here. Uh, Paul M.E. or Paul Me, I don't know um, how to say it, but he's actually been a follower since almost the very beginning. Um, he writes, congratulations on 5,000 subscribers, Alex. Hope you keep up the great job. Hope your dream with this project comes true. So no question, just a congrats. Thanks a lot. Uh, I hope so too. And thank you guys for for being here and supporting me. It's, um, it's, uh, it's fucking amazing when you think about it, when you pause and think about it, about what is actually going on here. Like I'm, yeah. Years ago, I was just a guy with a lot of ideas about the sport and I just started creating videos and uh, today we're here. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, and uh, in a year's time or five years time, we're going to be even further, which is even more amazing. Um, so yes, uh, there is one more question that goes a little bit into this. Uh, uh, or maybe I, I don't Anyway, uh, on Instagram, I got one question, which was, Coco Summer writes, can you show normal service plus explanation, need to improve technique? And uh, Coco Summer here, uh, seems to be a girl, she, 
she was a little bit lucky because the day before she wrote the question I had uh, had a beginner session where we went over the overhand serve and sort of um, trying to find the technique for it because some people struggle getting putting the ball over the net uh, with enough power with the overhand serve so so it was like perfect uh, I had this tips on my mind that I had been teaching the day before and uh, she asked me the question and uh, I also needed well I don't need more video ideas I have a lot of video ideas but I thought this is actually a pretty great video idea uh, and pretty easy to make so I just went ahead and went uh, and made a tutorial video for it so uh, I guess she was the lucky one and got the special treatment this time <laughs> I hope everyone that asks questions has, has gotten their question answered and, and hopefully a little bit more. Um, but uh, yeah, I did uh, release a tutorial video as an answer to her, so I don't need to talk about that here. Also, so there's a tutorial video in the description for this tutorial video. I described a... Um, a way to make this happen another way from the way that's described in the video another strategy uh, so just to keep on track the video is called overhand serve for beach ball ball beginners and uh, yeah it's released in in uh, June 2022 um, anyway it's about this torque serve uh, which is like an in-between serve between the overhand and the underhand, so it's like a sidearm serve. And people talk that there's a, a way to, like a process where you can start doing this sort of sidearm serves and then gradually move upwards towards a overhand serve. Um, I have actually never done this process with a player which uh, makes me realize I need to do that someday. Um, but I see a lot of uh, logic in this approach. I believe that it can work. <laughs> so that can also be, be something to try. And actually, another tip regarding that. Uh, so I like to post my videos in... Uh, in uh, various beach volleyball groups where people can find me but I also like to post them sometimes in beach volleyball coaches groups just for discussion material it's like here's a video here's some thoughts what do you guys think do you agree do you have other other ways to look at this blah blah because blah. I'm always looking for uh, for ways to improve and I found that just discussing with people uh, regardless of if they agree with my theories or my thoughts or disagree usually in one way or another discussing these ideas makes me understand them better and learn even more uh, so sometimes I like to post my videos in beach volleyball coaches uh, groups uh, just for like scrutiny uh, anyway this time I got a answer that gave another idea for a type of a process, like a step-by-step -step process, that I believe could probably work for people also. And this process was basically to start close to the net and just start serving overhand over the net. And then once it's successful, 
uh, you take a step back, surf from there until it's successful, take a step back, and gradually, sooner or later, you will be behind the baseline and uh, performing real surfs. Um, I do see a possibility of this working. I also see a possibility of this not working uh, because sort of one of the big pillars of getting an overhand serve to go over the net is to find the power from the core. And again, <laughs> learn the system of how your body is supposed to be doing things because then once the system is there, then the details fall into place automatically. Mm. Maybe I talked about that earlier. Uh, <laughs> again, I, I do see a possibility of someone serving from close to the net, uh, not using the right system, using some other system and getting some success, you know, taking a couple of steps back, still finding success, still finding success, taking even more steps back, but then somewhere halfway, then the old system is not anymore giving them success and them not finding the new system at this point. I see a possibility for this, but uh, I also see a possibility that the body would, that the body of a player would find a new system at this point, or some sort of hybrid system that makes it work. Uh, so yeah, just uh, another process, another possibility. Um, because sometimes I believe that just more ideas are good. As long as we don't get convinced that every idea we hear is the right one, then I generally believe that if we have time to listen to ideas, it's better to have more ideas in the back of our head than less ideas. Uh, so that's sort of the reason I wanted to also talk about that one. Uh, but yeah, that was nice. Uh, Thanks guys for sending me questions. Uh, it's awesome. This episode wouldn't exist without them. <laughs> Just as this project wouldn't be what it is without you guys following it. Uh, so thanks for listening. Thanks for being here. Um, yeah. Uh, I like to be able to go watch, you know, Making these episodes is a little bit like creating memories, like, uh, you know, there's old videos on the channel of like uh, 100 subscribers, 500 subscribers, and it's, uh, it's just nice for memories. Uh, someday I'm hopefully going to grow old and, and it's, uh, it's fun to have these sort of uh, small celebrations here and there. Uh, so this has been another one, uh, hopefully it has been enjoyable. Um, yeah, I want to end with uh, one of my favorite quotes, which is um, uh, Blessed are the curious because they shall have adventures. Uh, <laughs> it's a funny little quote, but I think it is quite genius. And I see it in a way that, you know, curious about not only like uh, adventures in terms of uh, going physically to new places, like that's one type of adventure. Uh, but you know, I think humans enjoy adventures. We, advent we enjoy new experiences. We enjoy expanding because that's what we're expanding perceptions from adventures. 
and uh, we can be curious in many ways. We can be curious about people, about ideas, about podcasts. I mean, there was some sort of curiosity, some degree of curiosity for this podcast episode that made you listen this far to it and make it make you start it even in the first place. Uh, maybe you have gone on some sort of mental adventure while listening to this. <laughs> uh, and maybe you will go on some sort of physical adventure in the future because of some idea from this uh, episode. But all of that stops if we don't have the curiosity. Uh, so I believe that curiosity is uh, one of the big pillars for, uh, for just a good and enjoyable life. Uh, so keep keep nurturing that quality because then you shall have adventures, I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe that's, maybe that's enough for this time. Thank you for listening. If you haven't subscribed, of course, you should subscribe to everything. You should subscribe to the podcast. You should subscribe to the YouTube channel. You should join the Facebook group. Uh, you should sub subscribe to the email newsletter because um, because you should because um, it's um, well one thing is that when I'm gonna do important updates in the future uh, then uh, the email list will actually be the f like before the general whole YouTube or the whole podcast uh, I'll leave it at that so there's gonna be some first mover advantages for those on the email list compared to only on the on the YouTube uh, with important updates for this uh, project. It hasn't happened yet, but it's coming. Um, there was something more. Yes, now I remember. There is one more thing. I wanted to give you guys an update. I'm going to make a separate update video with this. But this summer plans uh, 2022. So I ended up moving to Norway and I'm coaching here this summer and I'm working a lot. Uh, so because some people have been like wanting to know what, you know, if is there going to be a possibility for camps this summer, something like this. Uh, until the end of August or actually until the 2nd of September, I'm very busy with coaching for the club here in Oslo, in Norway. Uh, I do have, uh, I'm free Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So there is some sort of little small um, theoretical possibility for me to travel somewhere in Europe uh, to coach for those three days. If someone would want to put together a mini camp, uh, whatever. Uh, but I do want to spend a lot of those days for creating content for this channel. So I think there's a quite big chance that that will not happen. But if it would be something that you're interested in, you can shoot me an email. Uh, it's alex at learnb12fast.com. Another thing is that, so I'm busy here the whole summer, but the last week in July, so in a few weeks, uh, I'm going to Denmark, to Copenhagen, and maybe to Aarhus. Uh, so if there's like, if someone happens to be in Denmark and wants to get some private classes or whatever, then, uh, then hit me up. Um, other than that, September would be the month for a camp or uh, 
if someone wants to come over and have a lot of private classes, this has happened before that people come for a week and like we work on their spiking technique for something for a week, um, for example. Uh, so if there's anyone out there that would want to make something like this happen, you can, of course, possibly also come to Oslo during the summer. Uh, we might be able to find, you know, so that we can do an hour or two every day, even though I'm coaching for the club, uh, if you can do daytime coaching. Uh, but uh, yeah, anyway, you can email me and we can discuss that in, in that case. Um, but in September and possibly, possibly October, uh, it would be possible to do something more, a little bit more proper if, uh, if someone wants. Um, so yeah, that's, and that's probably going to be the possibilities for that this year. After that, I'm hopefully heading somewhere warm and cheap to, uh, you know, continue making the videos for this project and training. Um, yeah, I think that was everything that I wanted to talk about. See ya in another episode, another video, whatever. Keep learning beach volleyball. Keep learning faster than most people. Keep not getting stuck. <laughs> Don't get stuck. It's not fun. To, it's not fun and it's not good for you. All right. Talk to you later. Of course, there was something I forgot to mention when I recorded that, uh, which was that if there's anything unclear about the answers that I gave or anything you would want to discuss further or ask about, um, I wish there was a comment section on podcast episodes, which there isn't, but my temporary solution or solution so far has been that I also upload these podcast episodes on YouTube and on YouTube there is a comment section. So in the podcast um, episode description I will also link the YouTube version of this episode and if there's any questions that you want to ask or anything you want to write or, or comment or whatever you can just find that link go to YouTube and write the comments there. All right that was it have a good one.